Good morning, guys. My name is Dave, and I'm the campus pastor here at uh, Good News World Golf Village. And last week was a great week. Thank you for all of you who are here. Those of you who brought folks, who served, who invited, who welcomed folks. It was an amazing week. And last Sunday, 12 different people professed faith in Christ, and we rejoice at that. And in addition to that, three other folks have come to faith in Christ recently because you've been out sharing your faith and telling others about Jesus. And it's amazing. When we tell people about Jesus, they want to follow him. They want to learn who he is. They want him to be as important in their life as he is in yours. So thank you. Thank you for making a big deal about Jesus. And let's keep doing that. Let's keep making a big deal about who Jesus is and what he's come to do for us. Now, to do that this morning, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. And that's the passage that I want us to pay attention to this morning. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. After I've read it, I'm going to pray. And then we'll study the teaching in this passage together. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Open our eyes to see Jesus in the pages of your word this morning. Holy Spirit, penetrate hard hearts. Bring the dead to life and, and bring all of us, even believers who have followed Jesus for many years, bring all of us face to face with the greatness and glory of Jesus. And oh, Father, May your love for Jesus be shared with us, that we might join you and, and all the hosts of heaven with wide-eyed wonder, making much of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus, nothing I say this morning will make any difference unless you take from it the things that are true of you and make them real to our hearts, so I pray you do that. All to the praise of your glory and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Yesterday, I had a great day. Yesterday was a lot of fun. Yesterday, I, I got to go out on the St. John's River with a friend. He invited me to go in his boat out on the St. John's River to go fishing and then have dinner at Corky Bell's. It was, it was great. The best boat to have is a friend's boat. But, you know, when I had been out on the water for, you know, about an hour, hour and a half, I, I started looking around the boat. I started thinking, man, this would be kind of nice to have. It'd be kind of fun to have a boat. And my wife was thinking, yeah, you don't know anything about boats. You don't know how to drive a boat. 
But that's our heart, right? I mean, we just naturally want, we just naturally desire to, to add things to our life. I'm guilty of that. After I'd been out there a while, I started, I started thinking, oh man, it'd be awesome. Think of all the people I could bless. Think of all the people I could love if I had a boat. Self-justification. I'm an expert. How about you? Remember last week as I was sharing uh, the gospel last week in our Easter service, I, I used the law of God to try and help us see that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And, and I talked about the 10th commandment, you shall not covet. Guilty. How about you? There was a friend at uh, our lunch that we had at our house after the Easter service. And he asked me during the lunch, he said, well, Dave, what if I, what if I didn't want to covet? I mean, I, I get it that I'm a coveter, but, but what if I wanted Jesus to help me not covet? How would I do that? That's a great question. And it's the question that we're going to start to answer as we walk through the book of Colossians. We've been seeing in the book of Colossians up to this point, in the first two chapters of Colossians, we've seen the supremacy of Jesus Christ of over, over all things. That Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. Who's, he's come to seek and to save that which was lost. And we've seen in the first two chapters of Colossians all that Jesus has done for us. But now as we turn to chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Colossians, we're going to see what it looks like to submit to Jesus Christ in all of life. Now, did you, we saw in chapters 1 and 2 all that Christ wants to do for us. We'll see in chapters 3 and 4 all that Christ wants to do through us. But do you see what both sections of the book of Colossians have in common? Jesus Christ. In fact, you see that in the passage I just read this morning. You, you heard the name Christ mentioned four times in four verses. Did you ever notice that? You're reading through the Bible. How many times the Bible uses repetition to show what's really important. And Paul as he writes to the Colossians, he wants them to know that what's really important, what's more important than anything else in all the universe, is Jesus Christ. And he says, I want you to know Christ. I want you to, to depend on Christ. I want you to live a Christ-directed life. There's only two ways to live. You can live a self-directed life, where you sit on the throne of your life and you determine all the decisions and actions of your life, or you can live a Christ-directed life and let Jesus Christ direct all your actions and all your decisions. And what we're going to see as we walk through Colossians 3 and 4 is that the Christ-directed life, the Christ-directed life is a beautiful life. The Christ-directed life is a beautiful life because the one that we look to, Jesus Christ, is beautiful. And the good news about Jesus Christ is beautiful. 
You see, we need the gospel every day. I love it. In this little book, A Gospel Primer by Milton Vincent, he has a summary of why we need the gospel every day. The gospel is so foolish, according to my natural wisdom, so scandalous, according to my conscience, and so incredible, according to my timid heart, that it is a daily battle to believe the full scope of it as I should. There is simply no other way to compete with the forebodings of my conscience, the condemnings of my heart, and the lies of the world and the devil than to overwhelm such things with daily rehearsings of the gospel. What Milton's saying is we need Jesus. We all need Jesus. What's the gospel? How would you summarize it? Well, the Book of Common Prayer, we we don't use that in our particular tradition, but in the Anglican tradition, they use the Book of Common Prayer. And there's a phrase in the Book of Common Prayer that summarizes the gospel. You've probably heard it. It goes like this. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. That's the gospel. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. And this passage that I just read, those four verses, invite us to a Christ-directed life that would reflect that truth of the gospel. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. In this passage that I just read, we're invited to look back, to look up, and to look forward. In the passage I just read, in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, we're invited to look back. We look back, and what do we see? We see that Christ has died, Christ has risen. Look in verse 1. Therefore, you've been raised up with Christ. Look at verse 3. You have died. You have died with Christ, and you have been raised with Christ. You say, that's nice. No, you don't get it. That's more than nice. It's amazing. Let me tell you what it means. You ever heard of double jeopardy? You ever heard of that? That you can't be tried or punished for the same crime more than once? When Jesus Christ died... And when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, you were punished with him. He was punished in your place. And the punishment that you deserved was fully met on him. God put all of your sin on Jesus and punished him in your place. And he died. And he rose again. And it happened once for all. All sin paid for by Jesus in one incredible sacrifice of love for you and me. And that means that no sin you've ever committed, past, present, or future, can ever be punished a second time. That means that you can be forgiven all your sin. And that when you confess your sin, when you admit your sin, when you admit how much you need Jesus, Jesus Christ, 
says to the father, Father, I was punished in their place. I've paid the penalty for this sin. And you would be less than just to punish them a second time for a sin because I've already been punished in their place. You already put that sin on me and I suffered in their place. Therefore, Father, you must forgive sin because you are just. And the Father says, yes. The penalty has been paid. The sacrifice has been given. Forgiveness is issued because Jesus died. And when Jesus died, you died. And Jesus rose. And when Jesus rose, you rose with him. Do you believe that? It is the greatest truth of Christianity that Jesus Christ did for us what we could not do for ourselves. It's either eternal punishment for you or a once and for all punishment of him in your place. Which is it for you? Have you transferred your trust from yourself to Jesus? If so, God the Father forgives. And if you haven't, won't you? Won't you admit the bad news is true of you that, that you've sinned? Won't you believe the good news is true for you? Christ has died. Christ is risen. Won't you commit to Jesus as Savior and Lord? Invite him into the center of your life. Let him help you become the person he made you to be. Listen, come up after the service. I'd love to talk to you more about that if you've never received him. And at the end of the service, I'll give you the opportunity to receive Christ as Savior and Lord. We look back to what Jesus Christ has done for us. And in, then we're hidden in Christ. When we look back to what Jesus has done for us, God puts us in Jesus and we're hidden in him. What are the things in your house that you hide? Now, maybe some of the things that you hide are bad things, but, but listen, you mostly hide things that are very, very valuable. You mostly hide things that are treasured. And when God says that he's hidden you in Christ, he means that you are now his treasured possession and he's hidden you in Jesus because you are valued and you matter to him. You are Christ's treasure. You're hidden in him. Now see, religion... Religion tries to look at the external and make the external look beautiful. Tries through, through uh, performance to make the outside look good enough to be accepted by God. That's religion. Spirituality looks on the inside and, and tries to find the, the good and the beautiful within. And Christianity... Christianity looks to Christ. Christianity looks to Jesus and says, Jesus, hide me in you. 
Jesus, hide me in your death for me. Hide me in your resurrection for me. Christianity doesn't look outwardly. It doesn't look inwardly. It looks externally to Jesus Christ and him crucified, dead, buried, and risen. That's the gospel. We look back to Jesus. We look up to Jesus. What is Jesus presently doing? Verse 2 says, or verse 1, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Christianity says, look back, but now look up. Look up to Jesus. And what is Jesus doing? He's seated. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that like Jesus has a lazy boy and a Netflix account? No. It means he has a throne. It means that he's king of kings and lord of lords. And he has sat down. He's ascended to the highest place in all the universe. The one who created all things and redeems all things and is making all things new. He is seated with all authority, with all glory, with all kingship at the right hand of the Father. And it pleased the Father to give all things into the hands of Christ. So when we look up to Jesus, we look up to the one who is governing, ruling, and has authority over all things, and we say, it's good. We say, we worship you, Lord Jesus. We look away from all the decay and despair of our world, and we say, oh, Jesus, set it right. Make all things new. We go to the lost places in our world and we say, Jesus, King Jesus, your will be done. Your kingdom come. We take the message of the gospel. We look up to Jesus and we take the message of the gospel to all the dark and lost places in our world that desperately need to know a king, a good king reigns and his name is Jesus. So we look back, we look up, then we look forward. We look forward. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. King Jesus will one day return, and he will make all things new, and everything that's sad will come untrue. And you will be revealed with him in glory. Who you really are. Created in the image of God. Made to reign and rule on this good earth that God made. You will become who you were made to be. Everything that was lost and destroyed by the fall. Everything that was saved by Jesus on the cross. Everything that his Holy Spirit is, is changing and transforming and renewing. Everything will be as it was designed to be. And it will be that way forever and permanently. We'll have new bodies We'll live on a new earth. There'll be no more sickness, no more cancer, no more suffering, no more broken relationships, no more sin, and not even the possibility of sin. And that sounds pretty good. But the greatest thing of all, 
about eternity, about the glory that's to be revealed. It's not what God will do in you and not what God will do around us. But who will see? We'll see the one who loved us. We'll see him face to face. And he'll still bear his scars. Bearing his scars in love for us. And we'll be able for all eternity to say, thank you, thank you, thank you. We look back. We look up, we look forward. Now, what could happen in our life if that began to be real? Is it? Can it? It can. In my dorm, uh, when I was in college, in my dorm, we, we, there used to be these giant refrigerated uh, machines that had sodas in them. Remember those? They were called Coke machines, and you'd put... These, these little round things called coins. Remember when we used to have those? You'd put them inside. And in my, my dorm, in my dorm the, the soda machine in our dorm, it never worked right. I mean, it could have possibly have been because of the salt water that we pumped inside of it because we heard that, you know, that if you put salt water in it, it would just give you all the sodas you wanted. Could have had something to do with that, but it just never seemed to work right. You'd put your coin in, and sometimes the coin would go in the slot and it would just fall straight down to the coin return. And nothing would happen. So you'd take it out, you'd put the coin back in. And sometimes the coin would just get stuck just inside the slot. And so you'd have to, you'd see the coin, you'd know it was in there, and you'd go to the side of the machine and you'd hit it with your hand in hopes that the coin would drop through the mechanism and you'd get your soda. Let me ask you this. Has the coin of the gospel dropped from your head to your heart? If it hasn't, ask the Holy Spirit to knock your soda machine, to knock the coin of the gospel from your head to your heart, to enable you to see Jesus looking back, looking up, looking forward, for who he really is. What could happen in our lives? We're going to spend so much time over the next several weeks looking at what could happen practically in our lives if we began to believe this. But let me give you a few things this morning. Are you, are you a proud person? Now, it's, it's difficult because it's very hard for you to say, yeah, I'm a proud person. Because pride is almost impossible to see in ourselves. But think about this for a second. Are you ever at small group? Are you ever at small group or you're at dinner with friends? And I mean, I'm not talking about like a first dinner. I'm talking about you've known people for a long, long time. And you're just always upstorying. They bring up something. And then you immediately start talking about yourself. Oh, man, I know exactly what you're talking about. Let me tell you about me. Let me tell you about my story. Not, not an acquaintance, but a good friend, somebody who's already heard all your stories. Enough about me. 
let's talk about me. You're a proud person. What do you do? You lift yourself to Jesus, and you let Jesus put you in the proper perspective. You'll be far less prone to be consumed with yourself in conversation with others. You'll be far less likely to upstory people in conversation if you are looking to Jesus and seeing yourself in the proper perspective. Now, what about the rest of us? I mean, I know this is that one person in here, but the rest of us, we probably think too lowly of ourselves. What do we do? If we think too lowly of ourselves, we're always comparing ourselves negatively with other people. We're filled with comparison. We're filled with envy. We're filled with jealousy. And we always think badly of ourselves. What do you do? You lift yourself to Jesus and you say, Jesus, help me see who I am with you, hidden in you. Help me to see how much you love me. Help me to see my new status. Help me to see the righteousness that you've credited to my account. Help me to believe the gospel in my heart so that I wouldn't be thinking too lowly of myself and I wouldn't be thinking too highly of myself. So much more to say about that. What about if you find it difficult to love the people you love? What if you find it difficult to love your spouse? What do you do? You lift your spouse up to Jesus. And you look to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I'm not you. I'm not Jesus. And my spouse, she or he, they're not Jesus. Oh, but Jesus, you're amazing. And when I see my spouse with all their imperfections, when I see myself with all my imperfections, I see them next to you, your love rubs off on them. And I'm enabled to love them because you've loved me so well and you're so lovely. What about your kids? You ever struggle to love your kids? Moms, dads, grandparents, listen, you all are so important to your children. What you do in parenting your kids is so important, so critical. But can I tell you something? You're not Jesus. Jesus makes a far better Lord to your children than you do. So if you're spending all your time trying to manage and control your kids' behavior, lift your kids up to Jesus. Let Jesus be Lord of your kid's life. And listen, moms, dads, grandparents, your kids are so important, but they make terrible saviors. They make terrible saviors. So listen, if you're trying to live your life and find security and find significance in your kids' status, performance, success, in the classroom, on the ball field, if you're trying to live your life vicariously through their performance, stop. They make terrible saviors. Lift your kids up to Jesus 
and see them in light of his saving work for you. You'll be a much better parent. You'll love your children so much easier. So much more to say about all these things. And we will say as much as we can in the weeks ahead to work out practically what does it mean to live in submission to Jesus Christ. So you keep coming. And you invite friends to come with you. How do we boil this down into something memorable, something pithy? Well, how about this? Gaze at Jesus and glance at your circumstances. Gaze at Jesus and glance at your circumstances. And here, here's an action step for this week and really for all of eternity. Gaze at Jesus. Gaze at Jesus. Be filled with wide-eyed wonder at the greatness and glory of Jesus. Here's a, a quote by a minister named Robert Murray McShane. This is what he said. Learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely, such infinite majesty, and yet such meekness and grace. And all for sinners, and yet uh, even the chief, live much in the smiles of God. Bask in his beams, feel his all-seeing eye settled on you in love, and repose in his almighty arms. Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him. Let the Holy Spirit fill every chamber of your heart, and so there will be no room for folly or the world or Satan or the flesh. Do you see the grace in this life? For thousands and thousands and thousands of years, no one could look at God and live. For thousands and thousands and thousands of years, God said, don't look to me. You'll be destroyed. Don't come near to me. You'll be destroyed because you're a, a people of unclean lips. You're a sinful people. But then Jesus Christ came. God in the flesh. God in the flesh came and he now says, Look. Behold. Look to me. See me. When you see me, Jesus says, you've seen the Father. For thousands of years, we had to turn away. And now, because of what Jesus has done, we can look to him and see in his face the greatness and glory of God. And when he looks back at you, what do you see? We know If you could catch the eyes of Jesus, his face would be filled with compassion and love towards you. 
We know it. Because people saw him. He walked this earth. And in Mark chapter 6, this is just one example of so many examples. That the people saw him going, and many recognized them, and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. If you could catch the eye of Jesus today, if you could look full in his beautiful face, the expression on his face would be one of love and compassion towards you. Behold him, see him, love him, enjoy him, be captivated by him. Corey Timboom, Holocaust survivor, said this Look around and be distressed. Look inside and be depressed. Look at Jesus and be at rest. Oh, dear people, take her advice. Let's pray. Jesus, we lift our eyes from what we can see to what is currently invisible to us, but we behold with eyes of faith, faith, the greatness and glory of you who loved us. We look back to your finished work on the cross that you died in our place. We look back to your empty tomb that you rose and rose us with you. We look up to your present rule from heaven. We look forward to your imminent return. Holy Spirit, would you work in every heart in this room right now and enable each one of us to catch sight spiritually of you, King Jesus. Holy Spirit, help the coin to drop from the head to the heart. Holy Spirit, if, if you're working in any heart here this morning and, and, and you sense this morning that you're being drawn to saving faith in Jesus for the first time, then won't you simply say to him right where you're seated in the quietness of your own heart, won't you just say to him, Jesus, I admit that I've sinned against you in many ways. Jesus, I'm sorry. Jesus, I believe you lived the life I should have lived. Jesus, I believe you, you died the death I deserve to die. Jesus, I believe you rose again from the dead. Come into my life as Savior and Lord. 
and help me become the person you want me to be. And Jesus, this morning, this week, and for all eternity, help us gaze in wide-eyed wonder at your greatness and glory. I pray in your name. Amen.